Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Good morning. Uh, today is a, a pretty cool day for our church. Um, this is the weekend that we celebrate the anniversary of our church. Our church was started on September 21st. Hey, all right. So uh, our church was started on September 21st, 2008. So we are uh, basically this weekend, we are 14 years old. And 14 is a good age, right? Like, do you remember 14? It's awesome. As a parent, 14 is when you have a 14-year-old, it's great because they're old enough to mow the lawn, but not old enough to borrow the car. So it's like, it's like a sweet spot there. So I feel like as a church, we're in that zone now. We're, we're in that moment. Um, and that's, that's good because a, a lot of churches get planted and most of them don't make it to five years. So to be here at 14 and still seeing new people come and, and come to know the Lord is, is really encouraging. One of the things we've been about since the church started was having groups together. We didn't want Sunday morning to be the be-all, end-all of what we are as a community. We wanted to serve in the, in the city and, and do work in, in foster care and in, in uh, people who are experiencing homelessness or, or, or food scarcity or different things around the city. We wanted to do work there. And then we also wanted to do uh, spaces, uh, create spaces where people could gather in homes and in coffee shops and places around the city to get to know each other through small groups. And so from the beginning of our church, we have done small groups uh, of, of various kinds that'll study. They'll talk about what we talked about in the sermon, the scripture. They will go through books of the Bible together. They will read other books together. And we are launching those groups in this coming week. And so um, we, we, we run groups at a semester at a time. And some groups end up sticking together longer. They're gathered for a year or more. But we're about to start groups. And if you have not signed up for a small group, I really encourage you to do that. It's an important thing. It's an important part of the, the life of this church. Just coming in here into a, a somewhat dark room, although brighter than it used to be, and, and mark, markedly cleaner than it used to be. Um, coming in here is knowing about people, but it's not knowing people, and it's not being known. To do that, you need to get into a group and get to know some other folks. There are groups starting up, particularly if you're brand new, there's a group called Starting Point that's going to be uh, happening at someone's home, and a Starting Point is a great first entry point into the church to get to know some other people. Sign up for that today. Sign up for Starting Point. Get in there and get involved. And then the other one I want to tell you about is I teach a, a group that's called Transformation, and it is my favorite thing I do here. Uh, and I do it, and it starts tomorrow night, and it runs for eight weeks on Monday nights. And a lot of people in this church have gone through transformation, and I've been able to see it really move the needle for people and see the growth and change that comes. And people have made some big decisions out of taking that class, and some really good stuff has happened. So if you have not taken the transformation class, please sign up tomorrow night. Uh, we will run for eight weeks, and it is, it is a powerful thing, and we get into some great, it's very interactive, you're going to have homework, there's a lot to it, but it, it'll be good, and, and talk to people who have taken it here, there, there's a lot of good stuff there, so I'd love to have you in on that. All right, that's enough by way of announcements, I want to get into what we're going to talk about today, and I want to talk about uh, one of my favorite seasons of the year, as summer is winding down, and I get tired of how sweaty it is around here, and as we go, uh, the, 
you, you can start to feel it now, right? The season is changing. We're, we're going into this new season, and it is the best season of the year. And I'm not going to talk about pumpkin spice or anything like that um, or the leaves changing or whatever. This is the best season of the year, the season known as football season. It has now started. Um, it's happening. You can feel it in the air. You can feel the excitement. I'm a big NFL fan. And for me, my nerdiness around that becomes fantasy football season. Fantasy football has started, and I... Many of you don't care anything about that or know anything about it, and God bless you for that. But there are those of us that we care about it and we really get into it. In fact, I saw this one woman put this tweet out that I thought was kind of funny. Oh, your boyfriend's a doctor? Well, my boyfriend is now the coach of an imaginary football team for the next four months. Uh, to which her boyfriend corrected her, it's not the coach, it's the general manager is what I actually am. But anyway... Uh, that's real nerdy, right, for a certain kind of person that gets into that. I get into that, and I care about it somewhat. I'm like, oh, i got to follow see how my team's doing. People care about all sorts of things, and they really get into them. I, I, I was walking by this woman uh, the other day, and she was listening to a podcast, but she had it, like, playing out loud on her phone. She didn't have headphones in. So I got to hear, what, other, what, what kind of podcast do other people listen to? And she's like listening to this podcast. It's right at the beginning. They're explaining what it was. And they're like, this is the podcast that gives you all the best celebrity gossip. And I was like, there's nothing I care about less than that. I can't believe someone is listening to a podcast about what people she doesn't know are doing with all of their private lives that she's fine. I was like, oh, somebody does this? Somebody cares about this so much that they would listen to podcasts about celebrity gossip, right? But there's things people just really care about. People care about their pets, like to a crazy level sometimes, right? Like, I, I love my dog. You can, well, you know, you can love your pet, but some people buy all sorts of outfits for their pets, right? And I'm like, I have children. I can't even afford to get them outfits. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to get extra for the dog. Like, it's, but like people get really into that stuff and it, they're, they're, they're into their thing and I'm into my weird stuff. And the reality is, even though some of that seems silly, the reality is it's important to notice and for all of us to pay attention to in our own hearts, what do we really care about? Because what you care about is what you're going to spend money on and you're going to spend time on it and you're going to spend energy on that. And if you don't care about something, you're not going to spend those things on on that thing. Another way of saying that is what you care about really, really matters. In fact, I would, I would even say it this way. What you care about matters more than what you believe. Like you can believe a lot of things, but unless you care about them, it's not really going to make much of a difference. I, I feel this way, and this is awkward to say, but I'll just put it out there. When there is a war in a foreign country, and it becomes like the news, oh, there's an invasion, there's a war, and there's this thing happening. Um, I often think, oh man, like that sucks for those folks and that's got to be hard. But I don't care about it a lot. I don't because there's a lot of countries in the world and what I tend to care about is sort of what's in front of my face and paying the mortgage and how are these people doing and is this person sick and who, who do I know that's going through? Like that's the stuff I tend to care about. And so something that's far away, I don't care about. But the other day, a friend sent me an article and said that there's some tensions rising between Turkey and Greece. There always has been tensions between Turkey and Greece, but there's some saber rattling of, of warlike things going on there. And that I care about because I've been to Turkey a couple times and I know people there and I love people there. And so it matters to me. Now I care about it. It's foreign, it's far away, but now I care about it because I have a, a, a connection there. 
what you care about is going to move you, and it matters much more than what you actually um, believe uh, uh, about things. What you care about reveals your heart, and it's your heart that's going to drive how you live. Um, now, it, it's not actually your thoughts that drive how you live, what you think about things. And it's not even your emotions that drive what you live, how you feel about things. It's something deeper than that. It is a heart level like your desires drive you. Why, why do we long for sex? It's desire. Why do we long for money? It's desire. Why do we long for relationship? It is desire. The, the, at the deep level, your wants and desires is what drives you. And Jesus understood that. This is why when he teaches, he's not just passing on information. He's trying to communicate at a very heart level to people's hearts, to their desires. Um, and so he, he, he speaks to someone, uh, speaks to people at, at that level. And so I, I wanted to show it to you real briefly. There's lots of examples of this in the New Testament. But I want to show you the first time in the book of John that Jesus has an encounter with someone who wants to follow him. There's some guys that come up to him and they want to be one of his followers. And I want you to look, listen to the interaction that they have and see where Jesus goes with these guys. John chapter one, read, we'll start with verse 35. It says this. The next day, again, John was standing, it's John the Baptist, okay? John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, here's the question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they have this, this interaction. All right, Jesus is walking along and I love this. There's some people who want to follow him. They come up to him and he turns and he asks them a question and he says to them, what are you seeking? In other words, he says, what, what are your desires? What do you want to see happen? What are you, what are you after? That's a great question because it gets, it gets closer to the heart of things. He could have said to them as they want to follow him, and because it is, it's, it is actually a normal thing in the first century culture that there's a rabbi teacher and you would follow him around for years and learn from him. So if he's like recruiting people to follow him along, this is his question, what do you want? He could have said to them, what do you know? Right, a head knowledge question. What have you been taught? What schools of thought, thought or philosophy or, or what teaching about the, the, the ancient scriptures do you already have? And I'll build on that. He doesn't ask him any of those kind of questions. He asks them the heart question, the deeper question. What is it you actually want? Because what you care about is going to matter more than what you, what, what you believe. The truth is, he always starts um, with, with the heart with people. This series we started last week is called Wide Open, and we're talking about what does it mean to be wide open to God and open to what he's going to do in us and through us and around us. And then what does it mean to be open to others that we would share the love of God with other people, that we are surrounded by people who are hurting, who need to know the love of God, who are separated from God. What does it look like to extend that to, to him? And I want to talk today really at the beginning of this and talk about the heart. I was really tempted to talk about the mind because that's where I often like to go. How do we change our minds? How, do, how, are, our, how are our minds structured? How do we think about what we're, what, what, what's going on around us? But before you get even to the mind, we have to talk about what you care about. We have to talk about the heart. We have to go there first. Um, what does it look like to have an open heart, open to being loved by God and open to sharing that with others? So let's start with the open to being loved by God part. 
We actually sang a lot of songs about this this morning, if you were paying attention. The goodness of God is who you are. I'm your, I'm your child. The, the, your love is strong. The idea that God loves us, we talked about that a lot this morning. But even the early Christians who should really know that fact, who should have understood that God loves them, even they needed to be reminded. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in western Turkey in the, in the city of Ephesus. He writes a letter to them, we call it the book of Ephesians. And listen to what he says he prays for them. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, we'll put it on the screen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's praying that God's power will be at work in us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, get this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love this. It's beautiful. He says to a group of new Christians in Ephesus, my prayer, my hope for you, what I really want for you is that you will get it that you will understand how much you are loved. In fact, he even goes into dimensions. Like, I don't have enough words to tell you about the love of God. There's, there's length and width and breadth and depth to it. There's, there's so much to it. And I pray that you'll understand it. And he says that you'll have a knowledge that surpasses knowledge, that it'll be something not just in your head, but it's happening here too, all throughout your being. He's praying for people who probably get it intellectually, that they would get it at a much much deeper level. And it's, it's powerful uh, that they would understand this love. Uh, Singer-songwriter uh, Rich Mullins actually died 25 years ago tomorrow. I remember when that happened. And he wrote a song called The Love of God. And, and to this day, it's maybe my favorite uh, reflection on the, the, what the love of God is. And he describes the love of God as a reckless, raging fury and I'm not sure I can think of a better phrase than that to, to talk about this fierce love that God has for his people, that, that, that he has for us. It's, it's powerful. And so Paul prays, I want you to get it. Why does he pray that? He could have prayed anything for the church in Ephesus. I mean, if you're a church in the Roman Empire, you're a Christian, you're countercultural. You're going to have conflict with people. People are not going to like what you do and what you believe and how you live your life. Paul could have prayed for any of that. He could have prayed, hey, I pray that you guys are more safe when you travel on the roads because they're dangerous. I pray that your city doesn't get wiped out by a fire because it happens all the time. I pray that you don't get killed by the plague because that's a thing that happens a lot. Like all sorts of things Paul could have prayed for them. I pray for you to be bold. I've, I've been to Ephesus now. We went in Turkey back in June, and they've dug up a lot there. And when you get these, they, they, they show these pictures of like, well, this is what, you see like most of a building, and they're like, this is what this would have looked like. Ephesus was beautiful and pretty wealthy, and for the ancient world, pretty great. And so he doesn't pray for the, the, the Ephesian Christians that they would like they could have easily been distracted and just enjoyed life there a little too much. And he doesn't pray that they're not distracted. He doesn't pray for any of that. His prayer is that they would really get the love of God. That they would understand how much they love their love. Because if they do, 
all the other things are going to fall into place for us if we really, really get it. This is a key learning because we don't change because we get new information. It's not like, oh, now I know how many calories are in this and I'm just never going to eat it again. I don't know. I mean, if it tastes good and you want it, you're still probably going to eat it regardless of the information about the calories, right? We don't change because of new information. We change because of how our loves or affections are ordered. When we love Jesus, we will get to know him. Not when you get more information about Jesus. That's not, that's not it. We, we will become like what we love or where we put our desires and affections. Where we place our heart, that will come to shape our lives. Is it hard for you to believe then, if I say there's this reckless raging fury, this love of God, is it hard for you to believe that you're loved by God in that way? I think for a lot of us it is hard because we have stuff. We have all these lists of things going on in our life and we go, okay, maybe I can believe God exists and he's creator in the universe. Maybe I can believe that he exists, he's powerful, and he knows me. But for me to believe he exists, he knows me, and he actually loves me or even likes me, that's hard to believe because I have all these issues. I cheat a little bit. I gossip. I look at porn. I waste time at work. Um, I, I don't handle money well. Sometimes I burn down relationships. I'm a little bit too prideful. Like I, we, 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 we can have these lists of things. And we go, look, I, I got all this stuff. I'm a, I'm a bad girlfriend. I'm a, I'm a terrible father. Like all of these things. And so when we look at our lives, if we're honest about it, we're like, man, I'm a little disappointing to me. And if I know that about me, surely God knows that if he's all-knowing. So I'm guessing he's a little disappointed in me too. He's looking at me to see if I've been naughty or if I've been nice, and he knows that generally I've been kind of naughty. So maybe God's disappointed as well. And so it's hard for us to believe that we are loved by God. Now, we may fool other people, we may curate our image. We may look the best that we can on Instagram, but we are keenly aware and we know that we are messed up. And we know what we've done and what we've said and we have our regrets. And so how is it possible that we can be loved by God if he knows those things about us too? But this is the truth. The great truth of Christianity is this idea of grace, this unmerited favor, this idea that God knows everything about you everything that you've done, everything you're going to do. And he loves you in, in spite of yourself. Not because you're just so awesome, but he loves you because of his character, of who he is. And, and, and you are his, and you can belong to him. And he loves you um, with this profound love, even when you don't deserve it. And he loves us as we are and not as we should be because none of us are as we should be. So let me ask you, on the love of God, because we need to start there, you can nod along with anything I just said and say, yeah, I get that, I agree with that, but have you actually internalized that? Is it true somewhere other than just in your brain? Like, oh, yes, that makes sense logically. But do you get it here? Because that's, that's the real game changer. That's what Paul is praying for that you internalize it. Not that you walk around with the shame of sin. Oh, I blew it last week. I messed up yesterday. I blew it last week, last month, last year. Those four years in college, I don't want to even talk to God about anything I did there. Like, you all, you all have these things in your past. 
But if you've come to God, if you've been baptized to him, you've given your life to him, he has forgiven all of that. And you're made right and you can walk with him in a, in a righteous way. You can be right before God. Do you understand that, not just in your head, but do you get that in your heart? That is the love of God. And that's why Paul prays for the, 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 the Christians in Ephesus because he knows this is a game changer. He knows that if you know the love of God, that will help you keep your head on straight when the rest of the world is going nuts. He knows that if you go through a divorce, if you lose your job, if the money runs out, like no question, all of those things are gonna really be hard. But if you know who you are and that you belong to him and that you are loved by him, and it can help and, and, and you can know that he will walk there with you. So part of having an open heart is to be open to God's love for us, to understand that we are loved by him. And to do that, we have to be open to love at all because let's be honest, love is scary and love is risky. To put yourself out there, love feels very vulnerable. If I'm gonna love someone, I'm really opening myself up to God. If I love God that way, if I love other people that way, it's, it's, it's risky. C.S. Lewis says it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Maybe our fear of loving God and loving others and opening our heart that way is there's a vulnerability to it. We would much rather armor up. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm not going to be open to you again, God, or to, uh, to others. We, and, and, but if we do that, if we armor up, our heart grows cold. I remember the first time a, anyone from this church came to me and said, our marriage is in trouble, will you talk to us? And this lady came to me and she said, can you come talk to my husband and I? I went to talk to them and um, they ended up getting a divorce. And, and here's what I figured out pretty quickly. I was kind of new to this. And what I figured out is a lot of people, when they are on that path towards the divorce, they just stop off and see the minister on the way out. Like there was no, there was no like, let's work on this. It was just, a, this is a box we're supposed to check so that one day we're going to stand before a judge and say we did this. This was part of the exit plan. And that was really discouraging to me because I thought maybe we can help and maybe we could. But, but what I discovered is they were done long before they came to talk to me. And it didn't happen overnight. They didn't wake up one day and go, I want a divorce. Maybe it feels that way. But the reality, their heart closed a little piece at a time. This little rejection, this little, this little anger, this little, that went too far, this little bit at a time, and eventually they learn that they can't trust each other and, and there was nothing left. How does that happen? Where's the spark? You, 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 were at a, you got married, you said before God and everybody at a wedding that you loved each other and you thought they were so funny and so charming. Like early on, there was something there. Where did that go? that spark got like extinguished a little bit at a time 
as they closed off, off their heart little by little. They, maybe at one point they were open-hearted to the other person, but it, it slowly closed. So the challenge for us is to stay open to God and to stay open to others. I want to talk about that part as well. Second part is we have to align ourselves with Jesus. If we're going to be open to God and we're going to love God, then we have to ask the next question, okay, I love God, then I need to love what God loves. Like I need to be into what he's about. And what is God about? You see in Jesus' ministry as he's going around, and you saw this in this last series we did through the summer, Jesus hangs out with some pretty unsavory people. And when he does that, people don't like it. When he hangs out with the, the poor and the undeserving and the lower class and the people on the struggle bus, when he hangs out with these people, the people who have it together relatively, the high class people, the wealthy people, they look at what he's doing and they're like, you should not do that. You should not hang out with those people. This, this, there's an encounter of this in Luke 15. Listen, let me read it to you. Luke 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. When you, when you read tax collectors and sinners, that's your cue. That's New Testament for the bad people. And the Pharisees and the scribes, that's your cue for the, the connected good people, uh, grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is doing his thing. He's reaching people. The high class people look at what he's doing and they go, I don't like that you're hanging out with the low class people. I don't like that you're, that you're with sinners, the dirty people. The, the outcasts. And so he ends up telling three stories. I'm not going to read them all to you. Three parables that he tells in Luke 15 that are the last one, the prodigal son, is very famous. But I want to read you this first one that he says. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you're a shepherd, you have one job. Don't lose the sheep. Keep them fed. Keep them, take care of them. That's your job. And if you have... A hundred of them and you lose one, you go like, ah, one, you know, I can't even remember all their names. No, it's, it's not like that. Like there's monetary value there. there there's, you, you're going to track every single one and you're going to know every single one because you spend a lot of time with them. And so he said, look, if you lose one, you're going to go as far as you can. You're going to go find that one and bring it back. And there's going to be some rejoicing when that one who has wandered away is brought back in. So if you're a shepherd, you willingly step aside to find the one. And Jesus told that story to say, this is the way God is. God is going to go searching for the one who needs help and who needs to be near him. And so the inescapable conclusion of that is, is for us should be this. If God's heart is for people who have wandered and we are going to care about the things that God cares about, then our heart needs to be for the people who have wandered far from God. This is the mission of this church. It has been since day one. We've called it different things over the years. We called it Love Beyond Reason for probably the first 10 years and still talk about that at times. But this is the mission. We want to find people in Richmond, connect them to God, help them find their people, and change the world. This is what we're about. Another way to say that is 
we want to find people who are lost. That is the language the scripture uses for it. People are lost and wandering, and we want to find them and help them become found and connected to their, their heavenly father. God wants to bring these people into his family, and he wants to use you and I to reach out to them. Let me be clear, and I, and I think this is an unpopular thing to say in our culture in this day and age, but I think it's still true. Hebrews 9.27 says it this way, there is appointed one time for you and I, for every man and woman to stand before God in judgment. We will die one time and we will stand before God. That is our future. And when we stand before God, we give an account for who we are. And there will be this connection. We either gave our lives to God, we followed him and we loved him and we sought after him. And if so, because of, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we can be with God for eternity in paradise. Or the alternative is we don't love God and we don't want to know him and he will cast us out and away from him and we will go to what the scripture calls hell. There's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about exactly what that looks like, but we will be eternally separated from God. That is the fate of all of us, one, one, one path or the other there. I know that sounds like fire and brimstone, that sounds like unpopular these days, that's, oh, that's so, you know maybe judgmental, whatever. Um, I think it's the truth of Scripture. We will stand before God, who's, who's a righteous judge. And, and, and we need to understand that. And so to be open-hearted towards God means to be open-hearted towards all the, everyone else who's also going to stand before him. We need to help people be reconciled to, to God. We need to care about lost friends and family. You have them. Pray about them. People that you know that are lost and far from God, speak up to them. Maybe speak to them and say, hey, let me tell you about and, and maybe share what God has done in your life. Take some risks. That doesn't mean you need to be a street preacher. You don't need to go out into Carytown right now when we're done here and start preaching. But speak up to people that you know. Instead of street preaching, maybe we could just ask this question. Who do you love that is far from God? Who do you love that is far from God? Like, because you can believe people are far from God, but what you care about matters more than what you believe, right? So my question is, who do you know and love that's far from God? Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's that kid in, the Eng in your English class. Maybe it's the guy on your softball team. See them and open your heart to them. Topher shared his story before I got up here. We watched that. And the guy, Doug, who shared Christ with Topher, the thing I love about that story is um, Doug doesn't answer all of Topher's intellectual objections. He just sat there long enough and listened and loved Topher. That's, that's what it came, that, that's how that went. Someone sits with you long enough and loves you and that brings about transformation and change. And so that's what I'm inviting you to do. Who do you know that's far from God and can you sit with them and, and, and love them? Now, the challenge of that is, but what if they speak up and 
express doubts? What if they ask questions I don't have the answer for? I get that. Don't let that stop you from trying, but we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love that we sung about this morning, your goodness that you are for us, your amazing grace that covers over our sin and can make us right with you. God, may we internalize that maybe in a way we haven't before and that we can walk out of here alive and comforted by your love. And God, may we also um, not keep that to ourselves but be aware of the, those around us and may we also walk out of here with a passion for, a, a deep caring and burning desire to help those who don't know you come to know you. Thank you, God, for being a good, good father. Thank you for loving us. Give us those divine appointments this week to share that love with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.